Morning, church. Uh, today we're reading from, uh, we start with our reading from Nehemiah, and we're reading from chapter 12, verses 27 through to 47. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of Netaphathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. For the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachur, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melali, Gilali, Mai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshunar gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. And at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Masai, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elioenai, Zechariah and Hananiah with their trumpets. And also Masai, Shemai, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malkijah, Elam, and Ezer. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrehiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, Men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. From the fields around the towns, 
they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. The next reading is much simpler, and it is <laughs> a little easier to read. It's from Luke chapter 14, verses uh, 26 and 27. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Honour my son Nathan at the piano. It was his debut at 8am and uh, this is the second time he's played. So God bless you, bud. Thank you. (laughs) 
You may or may not recognize that song in Hebrew. It is called Hatikva, The Hope. It is a poem and a song written by Naphtali Hertz Imber. And for Jews, Jerusalem has been the heart of the Jewish people, a longing, a yearning for home. And every Passover, the vast majority of Jews, when they gather, will say, next year in Jerusalem. And since the nation state of Israel has been established in 1948, uh, that song, that hope, Hatikva, has been the Israeli national anthem because the land has now been established and many Jews hope to return there and to make the ascent to Jerusalem in Israel. It's a haunting song. It's a beautiful song, in my view. But I wonder what it evoked in you. Did it evoke in you a sense of longing, of yearning for home? Because we have a home, and our home is heaven. For those of us who know and trust the Lord Jesus, Messiah, our home is with him, and we long for that day when we will go to be with him, or he will come to take us all to be with him forever. And as we've been looking at this series and have come now to our Commitment Sunday, what it means to be committed as Christ, we have tested in recent weeks our commitment by way of treasures and our testimonies, by way of our talents and our time. And today, the big idea is this. If Christ was committed, then how might we be totally committed as Christ? Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that all hopes are fulfilled through the person of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you've gathered us today on this Commitment Sunday to consider the wholehearted, complete and total commitment of Jesus to us. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit and your Word at work in our hearts and minds, you would quicken us to be as committed as Christ in all that we would think and say and pray and do for your glory amongst us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the final Jewish festival that we shall look at over the course of these weeks today is a festival called Yom Ha'aliyah, which literally means the day of return or the day of going up. And this idea of going up, this idea of ascent, has multiple applications. The first one I want us to look at is aliyah, or ascent, to the temple. Um, amongst our psalms, you may remember that there are a number of psalms or songs of ascent. They are the ones from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And uh, one of them may be familiar to you, which is the one, and for us it's very familiar because we have a mountain outside our, our house, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we can imagine those psalms being sung by the people of God in history as they made their way up in Solomon's temple. The ascent by his people to return to the presence of God with gratitude, 
to give their first fruits back to God who had and would save them. And these were a reminder that God keeps his promises, especially his promise that he would always be with them. The ascent to the temple is also, for their minds, evocative of the ascent to the promised land. It would take them back to the promise that God made at the beginning to Abraham, God's promise to the patriarchs of Aliyah to the promised land. Uh, in God's provident timing, this week in the reading of Torah portions amongst our Jewish friends is Leklaka, or go forth to the land I will show you, which is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and God's promise to Abraham. Of course, Abraham would never make it to the land, but his descendants would go, and Joshua was, of course, the first to lead God's people from the Exodus into this land. And today, still, Aliyah is the immigration of Jews from all over the world to the nation of Israel. For them, returning to the Promised Land is celebrated as an Israeli national holiday, Yom HaAliyah. But these are all just shadows in anticipation of the greater ascent, the alia to our heavenly home. God delights in keeping his promises. He has returned the Jews to Israel, and in fulfilling this promise for their return, he shows that he is faithful and good. But yet even more wonderfully, God has offered a greater hope than this. It is the hope met in the person of Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. The hope that to return to the land has been fulfilled and still many Jews yearn for this. And yet those 2,000 years of yearning have been fulfilled. But greater still is God's promise that he would come into the world in the person of his son Jesus and take on flesh and fulfill all his promises in such a way that Jesus offers a hope that will endure not just for this lifetime, but an eternal hope that will take his people to a home in heaven. And I want to ask you, does your heart yearn for that day? Does your soul sing for that day? God's word confirms that Every human heart has had eternity hardwired into it. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, that God has made everything beautiful in this time, but he has also set eternity in the hearts of men and women, and they cannot begin to fathom it. The alia made in the temple, the alia made in the land of Israel, they are shadows because the hope that we have is hope as an anchor for the soul. It is an enduring hope that speaks of a heavenly home. And as we look at the reading that we had from Nehemiah and think about the building upon the foundation that was going on in history, we see that, of course, in the history of God's people, while Solomon's temple was there, the place of ascent for them, it did not last. It was destroyed the Assyrians having taken God's people from the northern kingdom off to captivity, and then the destruction of Jerusalem when Judah was invaded by Babylon, and God's people were taken into captivity or exile. And then the next nation took over the Babylonians, the, 
the Medes and the Persians. And of course, when we get to the time of Nehemiah, you will remember that across the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see how God eventually gave the opportunity through these pagan oppressors for God's people to return, some of them, to Jerusalem as a remnant. They hoped that God would come and be with his people as they began to build a new temple. And you remember when we left it last week that some of God's people had returned. And they were God's people in God's place under God's rule. His word had been read and they surrendered themselves to his word. And we saw this beautiful picture at the beginning of Nehemiah 12, that reading that Simone did so well. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, the pledges, the first fruits, and the tithes. And all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers, for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside portions for the descendants of Aaron. And we do have this wonderful picture of God's people reading and obeying his word. His people celebrating with thanksgiving as they brought the first fruits to enable the joyous work and the worship of God. This little section, if you like, if I can be contemporary, it's rather like the wardens making sure that the ministers of God's word are paid, that the musicians are remunerated, that the gatekeepers are kept in what they needed, those portions provided to ensure that the next generation would remember their God. It's a picture of restoration, but it is not a picture that lasts. Because sadly, in chapter 13, we read how Nehemiah went back to serve Artaxerxes for a couple of years back in his hometown. He comes back to Jerusalem and the wheels have fallen off. The commitment did not last. And as you'll see here, where I've quoted from chapter 13, starting at verse 10, Nehemiah came back and learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And so he rebuked the officials and said to them, why is the house of God neglected? Moreover, members of neighboring nations had come amongst God's people, people from Tyre, selling all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. And so Nehemiah rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing that you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day of God? And moreover, in those days, Nehemiah saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab, they had come back to intermarrying with the nations and in time adopting their gods and idols. And so he rebuked them and called curses down upon them. <laughs> and so we move just in a matter of years from what appears to be a picture of God's people gathered in God's place under God's word and rule to disarray. The revival has failed. And it gets so bad that a frustrated Nehemiah by the end of this chapter is beating up the poor people of God in his anger and his grief. And we say to ourselves, where's the hope? And from amongst that little remnant community, there's a little man. And he's given the words of God. And his name is Malachi. And he preaches amongst the people of God, saying there is a hope. And it is hope that will be found in Messiah. Malachi gives hope for Messiah. Malachi is our last prophet. 
And he speaks, as you may very well remember, in chapter 3, verse 1, of the messenger. I will send, says God through Malachi, my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the, messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi preaches hope, and that hope is manifest in a messenger who will prepare the way, it says, before me before God himself. Because this prophet is speaking about another prophet whose name is John the Baptist. God's messenger who prepares a way for the Messiah. John the Baptist preaching repentance and predicting the coming Messiah and then has the great privilege of baptizing Jesus, the Son of God, who is confirmed by the Father and the Spirit to be the one in whom God is well pleased. And Jesus himself confirms that John the Baptist is the one in Matthew 11 who would prepare his way. And so, in those words of Malachi, fulfilled in John and then ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus, we see the one who gives the ultimate hope. We see in Jesus' life the fulfillment of God's law. That we now, as his followers, are free to live under his word, and to grow in maturity, in the security of knowing our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus' death forgives our sins. God's wrath against sin was spent on him, that we might be covered by Jesus' blood, and so have the privilege of being friends with God. And Jesus' resurrection has conquered death. Now we may live lives to the full fearlessly. What Peter Pan called the last great adventure, we say in death there is no sting because our king has been raised from the dead. And then we have Jesus' ascension which confirms his rule in heaven so that we today in the midst of floods and fires and world pandemics can know for sure that Jesus is on the throne and in full control of everything. And we have his promise to return, knowing that he has prepared for his people a heavenly home that will endure for eternity, and we yearn and look forward to making our ascent to heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is Jesus. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of Jews. He is the hope of Gentiles. He is the hope for the nation of Israel. He is the hope for the nation of Australia. He is the hope for everyone. And so he picks up these words that we read back in Deuteronomy upon the lips of Moses, where Moses says with God's authority that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart. This is what it means to leave a centenary legacy, a total commitment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here are Israel, says Moses, uh, as the mouthpiece of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. 
The very word of God given to Moses by God is shared with God's people so that they might trust and obey God free from fear, free from anxiety, and not deluded into the comforts of this world. And just as Moses and God's people were committed to teaching their children at every opportunity to follow him, Jesus picks up these words upon his lips to say that those who follow him, likewise, are to be committed totally. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, we read in Matthew 22, where Jesus is asked what is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These are the words of Jesus quoting Moses, who quoted God, and yet these words were written by Jesus himself as the Son of God. And he calls us as his followers to trust and obey the word of God, to live by faith, to live with a spirit of adventure, to live with a heart of compassion, committed to showing one another how Jesus has loved us, committed to encouraging one another to share the love of Jesus with others. To know and love Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he gives us these surprising words that Simone read for us from Luke chapter 14. And he says these things. The Lord Jesus himself says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, hate mother, hate wife, hate children, hate brother, hate sister, yes, even hate their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, let's not beat about the bush. These are awkward words, aren't they? Because I love my father, and I love my mother, and I love my wife, and I love my children, and I love my brothers and sisters, and I would lay down my life for my family. In fact, there are some ways in which I lay down my life in love day by day. So why would Jesus say such a thing? That we are to hate them? Well, it's a choice. Consistently throughout the Bible, to love and to hate is to choose one and not another. God said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I chose Jacob. I did not choose Esau. And Jesus says, you must choose me above all others. Jesus is not saying that we are to hate those beloved ones in our life in a way that is mean or cruel or unkind. What he's rather saying is, I am love. I enable people to love one another. I am... I am enabled by Jesus to love my family in a way that I could never do alone. In choosing Jesus, in surrendering all to him, 
through me, he will enable me to love in the way that he has loved us. He is love. And so to choose Jesus is to mean that we can then love in a way that he has loved us, which is far better for everyone. Jesus says to us, I was and I am totally committed to you. Jesus was committed to you on the cross in laying down his life for you. Jesus was committed to you in his resurrection, in taking his life back up again. Jesus was committed to you in his ascension to give you the assurance of his control over all things now. And Jesus is committed to you because he will return to take you to be to your heavenly home forever. And Jesus says to us, are you totally committed to me? Am I your hope? Me. I mean, we've talked for four weeks about what it means to have the gifts of God's treasures and testimony and talents and time. But at the end of the day, that's all just stuff, right? And it all belongs to him anyway. He wants to know that our hearts long for him, that we yearn for him. Does your heart yearn for Jesus? Does your soul sing for Jesus? I know this goes from the sublime to ridiculous, and I'm going to put this slide up right now. And I'm sorry. <laughs> we talk of the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I go to the Aussie brekkie. Bacon and eggs. But we've been thinking about what it means to be involved, where the chicken contributes the eggs, and what it means to be committed, where the pig is the bacon. Are we involved like the chook, or are we committed like the pig? Because Christ was totally committed to us. How will we commit totally to him today? And it is time on this Commitment Sunday for us to make our aliyah, to make our ascent up here. As we confess how our hearts yearn for Jesus, as we rejoice in how our souls sing for our Messiah, our expression of commitment as Christ is our pledge of our first fruits together today. It is an opportunity for us to give back to God our time, our testimony, and our talents, and particularly today, our treasures for the year ahead. And we've been asked over the course of this month to prayerfully consider our commitment and pledge for the year ahead. And today, our spiritual act of worship will be to come up together and place our cards in the boxes for the year ahead as we consider this beautiful first fruits banquet anticipating a taste of the eternal banquet that Jesus has prepared for us in heaven. I'm going to pray, and then our musicians are going to play for us as we sing together. We will come up together and make our pledge and commitment for the year ahead. Let me lead us in speaking to our Father in heaven. We are so thankful, Father God, that our hope is the Lord Jesus we pray that you would help us to give in faith totally all that you have entrusted to us as your children. 
We give back to you, returning as your people who trust you totally with all that we are and all that we have through our eternal Saviour and Messiah Jesus. And as we now commit together for the year ahead, indeed for the years ahead, indeed fully committing ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ who was fully committed to us, we pray that you would move our hearts and empower us by your Spirit that we may be found as faithful, adventurous, compassionate disciples who delight in making disciples and carrying our crosses, following our Saviour and King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Just a final note. Um, this, of course, is for our regular members here. If you're visiting today, can I encourage you to take your card and fill it in and let us know that you're here with us. Uh, you might just uh, want us to know that you've been here. You may want some uh, prayer. We'd love to receive a card from you, and that would enable you as well to come and join us. But for our regular members here, this is our opportunity to commit and pledge. Thank you.